0: Last week, we almost started in on uh, Stephen's speech. Uh, We did make it one verse into chapter 2. Stephen's speech is argument against the false charges that were brought against him. Today we actually will get into his speech. Um, This speech is 53 verses long. They say it's the longest speech in the New Testament. And if that sounds long, 53 verses... I read it to myself in my best uh, D. James Kennedy voice uh, yesterday. Really slow and sonorous. <clears throat> yeah. I timed it. It only comes to eight and a half minutes as much as I could stress it, uh, stretch it out. So, so even with the debate with the synagogue of the freedmen earlier and then hauling Stephen before the Sanhedrin, And this impromptu defense, there would still be plenty of time left in the day for Stephen's lynching. There are six clear parts to this speech according to uh, Daryl Bach. A call call to hear, basically an introduction, a call for the people to hear what he is about to say. Then he gives the A history of Abraham. And the rejection of Joseph is next. Next, he will speak of God and Moses. The fifth one is about the tabernacle and the temple. And sixth is the application, the, the history of rejecting the spirit that the Israelites have had from basically forever. There would have been a seventh part. Uh, If Stephen had been allowed to finish, uh, he probably was going to finish up with a comparison between Joseph and Moses and Jesus about how they were consistently rejected by the people. But it was already too much for the Jews. They had to stop their ears closed the way some people even today do so that they don't have to hear the truth. Acts seven two through sixteen. And it's a it's a big chunk of uh, verse, and I usually don't get anywhere near that much done. And I wondered about how to break this sermon up. I told you before that my daughter's pastor in North Carolina decided the last time he preached this to do the whole sermon in one uh, the the whole speech in one sermon. And looking at the breakup, it looks to me like more or less we have. Three sections of 16 verses. And that's what we'll be covering today. So chapter 7 starts, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And that's what we covered last week. Verse 2 goes, And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land. And from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you were now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. 75 persons in all, and Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Now, if I was going to be getting technically into this, there's, there's a lot of argument about what Stephen said and how accurate it was. That is not my point today to do a forensic examination. I'm not even positive. Some people say, well, it's, this is not an inspired text because he made mistakes. Some versions say that he's... Joseph had 70 77, some say 75. It, and it's... Let me put it this way, I don't know if when you're transcribing what somebody said whether it's a violation of inerrancy of scripture if they made a mistake beyond that I don't think he made a mistake but that's not the purpose of this I just want you to know that there is a debate about that I talked last week of God working not just in Israel in Palestine but actually maybe even least in Israel in verses 2 through 8, we see that Abraham was called by God into the land of Canaan. But note, note that God did not give the land to Abraham. Abraham was a sojourner in the land that he was promised. He, Stephen notes that he was not even given a foot's length. The land, the promised land, was a promise to his seed, his children, his children's children. But not until they also had been sojourners, strangers in a strange land, as it were, themselves in Egypt and enslaved there for 400 years. Stephen is here quoting from Genesis 15. Abraham as yet has no children. But God, promising that his offspring will outnumber the stars, says, oh, oh, and by the way, these children you don't have, We'll be slaves for 400 years in a strange land. So, what, what is with that? Um, this is why I'm not God. Well, there's a lot of reasons I'm not God. One of them is that what is God trying to teach the Jews? He's giving a possession. This is before Isaac is born. He's giving a possession to Abraham and his offspring and says, they're going to be slaves for 400 years before they get there. That is not the way we would tell a story. So what is he trying to teach the Jews? And what is he trying to teach us through it? That this is not our home? um, That we belong to a heavenly kingdom? um, We've got... Uh, N.O.T.W. stickers on cars already. What else is God trying to teach us here? Because the lessons have been written from long ago. Now remembering, this was an eight minute speech, Stephen proceeds to Abraham's grandson Jacob and his sons referred to as the patriarchs of Israel. And here are just the patriarchs. Last week I mentioned that Stephen condemns Israel for rejecting God's prophets and and killing those who announce the coming of the Messiah. Now when I think of prophets, I think of people like Samuel. I think of Jeremiah or Elijah. Elisha. But Joseph does not spring immediately to mind. However, in verse 9, Stephen brings up Joseph. And it says, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph. And how many times has jealousy raised its ugly head here in Acts? Just a chapter or two ago, in chapter 5, you'll remember, it says, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison Is jealousy the driver of all strife in one way or another? Is jealousy behind all of human sin? It might very well be. So it says, And the patriarchs jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Now Stephen brings up Joseph and his treatment by his brothers as Israel rejecting God's prophets. Silly me, you know, most of the times I've heard this story told, I think of it as uh, uh, sibling rivalry. But no, it isn't that. These are the patriarchs, the foundation of the nation of Israel. These are the building blocks that God has chosen. And just as Adam is the federal head of humanity, the patriarchs are the federal head of Israel. Indeed, 2,000 years after they lived, we're looking at now, the 12 tribes of Israel are still identified by the names of the patriarchs. So Joseph was sold into slavery. But was he a prophet, as Stephen is here intimating? The answer is, prophecy is the reason Joseph was in hot water with his brothers in the first place. And prophecy is what will get him out of trouble in Egypt later on. In scripture, it was portrayed as interpreting dreams. And that's, you know, that's how I always think of it is, you know, he was interpreting dreams that were brought to him. But what are interpreting dreams, if not prophecy? Uh, Genesis 37, 5 through 7 says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. I'm one of five siblings, okay, so let me tell you, this is not far off. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep." His brothers said to him, and see, they knew what he was saying. and They're saying, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. But they knew that this was a prophecy. Then, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. And you would think that you would stop while you're ahead with this, Okay. Luckily, I was the oldest brother. I had two older sisters, but I was the oldest brother, so they had to watch it around me. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So in Egypt, Joseph finds himself in prison because of his uprightness. No good deed and all that. Genesis chapter 40 says, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry. Uh, so he throws them into prison where jo- uh, Joseph was confined. Anyway, verse five says, "And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were, co- uh, who were confined in the prison, each with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation." So Jesus, Joseph the prophet gives them the interpretation of the chief cupbearer and that was a really good a really good outcome okay the cupbearer is told that he's going to be restored to his position and verse 16 says when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable he said to Joseph I also had a tree dream there were 3 cakes cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head and Joseph answered and said this is the interpretation you're going to have your head removed from your body didn't work out real well for the uh, second dream so yes Joseph interpreted dreams but he was also a prophet and it was in that capacity that Pharaoh put him in charge of Egypt, as as we see, uh, as we see Stephen talk about in verse ten. His brothers sold him into slavery, but God was with him. It says, and rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Continuing on in verse. 11, Stephen says, Now they came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. And when Stephen says the patriarchs could find no food, the word translated uh, food here is not just the word for human food, but can be used also of animal fodder. There was nothing to eat in Israel. For man nor beast. But now comes Stephen's larger point. He says, But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. Now we all know this story. Joseph's brothers appear before him, and they do not recognize them, and why would they? Joseph was 17 years old when they sold him into what they thought would be slavery and sure death. He's now 30. 13 years have passed he's speaking in a strange language he's, he is the Pharaoh's right hand man why would they recognize who Joseph is and Joseph does not tell them who he is I could bring that into my family and my, my brothers and sisters but you can just imagine anyway Verse 13 says, and on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Stephen's point is that Israel, as as personified by the patriarchs and Jacob, didn't recognize Joseph. On their second visit, they still didn't recognize him. So he made himself known. And his brothers were afraid, knowing the evil they had done to a man who had become the most powerful man in the world. But the righteous Joseph only said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Which is something we still say today when we're in situations Man meant them for evil, but God meant them for good. Verses 14 through 16 finish this section of Stephen's speech. Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. So what is Stephen's point here about Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, and the patriarchs? It isn't just about reciting history to show that the Sanhedrin that Stephen identified as a Jew. It's also not to show that, the, that he venerates Jewish history and this was not, and that he was not a blasphemer. Remember, Stephen is not making a defense, but he is in offense against the, the religious orthodoxy that rejected the ancient Jewish prophets and then John the Baptist and ultimately Jesus himself. Now that same Jewish authority is trying to stamp out Christianity and Stephen points out by the treatment of Joseph by the patriarchs a corollary corollary of current events there is in Christian theology the recognition that throughout history certain people were shown to be by God to be a type of Christ a foreshadowing of the Messiah by particular righteous people people Melchizedek off the top of my head which is not off the top of my head anymore because I just wrote it down was possibly the first a prophet yet a king Called he was the king of Salem which is the king of peace in Genesis 14 Melchizedek was a type of Christ as was Abraham Moses was the most famous of those David as king in Israel the man after God's own heart was also And here we see Joseph as a type of Christ as well. And how was he that? I have a printout here that I am not going to get into of from some site of 75 ways that Jesus and Joseph were alike. But as I close, I'd like to focus in on just two typical likenesses when Joseph was betrayed by his brothers it was his older brother Judah who decided on the price 20 shekels of silver Jesus of course was figuratively sold by Judas into death for 30 pieces of silver so Judah and Judas they're the same names okay Judah is the Aramaic version. Judas is the Greek. The name Judah was basically interchangeable with the nation of Israel. It was the land of Judah. Silver, which was used for the purchase of both men. Silver was the offering metal for the atonement of sins at the temple. You were to give an offering of silver. 20 shekels paid for Joseph was the price for a slave in 2000 BC. 30 shekels for Jesus. Was he worth more? No, that was the price of a slave in 33 AD. They were sold both for the slave price. Interestingly enough, they see the difference between 20 shekels and 30 shekels was the amount of inflation over 2,000 years. So, I wish we could be looking for that in our inflation today. I think it's going to be considerably more than a 50% increase. The other comparison is this. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Jesus was betrayed by a disciple. Joseph's brothers did not truly know who he was. They had no idea what Joseph, who Joseph was, who Joseph would become. I mean, Joseph had said that he was born to be a king and they laughed at him. The Jewish nation did not recognize Jesus for who he was. When Joseph's brothers turned to him For help, they did not recognize him. The nation of Israel does not recognize Jesus to this very day. It wasn't until the second time that Joseph's brothers came to him that he revealed himself. And they came to see him as their Savior. The second coming of Jesus is not far off. Jesus will reveal himself to Israel. And at that time, salvation for the Jews will be at hand. A second chance to be saved. A last chance to be saved. The only chance left. Joseph's brothers held close to Joseph and their salvation. And will Israel? You know, that that's the question that we look at as... As we look at this section do we understand who Jesus was? I think a Bible teaching church does it. Will the Jews recognize it? I believe many will be saved when Jesus returns, but it's not guaranteed. You know, evangelicals like to point out that the Jews are God's chosen people and it does say that in scripture. But it also is prophesied that they will fall away. That they will be cut off. That they will have to be grafted back in to the the tree that is the church. They have to make the choice to come back because they can not be saved without believing in Jesus. That is the choice that will be coming down the line. Next week we're going to be looking at Moses' a type of Christ because even today when the Jews say that they believe in God they don't really I was just reading that modern Jewish theologians take a snippet here and a snippet there which is what Christians are accused of doing which is why in this church when we read scripture we try to read everything that's appropriate for the Scripture to not take something out of context. But they build their their case for not believing in Jesus over snippets of Scriptures and have not, I am told, read the entire prophecies of Isaiah or any of the prophets. They take selected bits. I've mentioned before that they do not read in their readings they do not read any of Isaiah 53 they completely skip it it's left out of their readings and when asked they will say it's because well it's because when it's read to them they say this is from your Christian scriptures because it's about Jesus Christ and when pointed out that it's from Isaiah they're not pleased The point is is that unless you read and truly want to know what Scripture says, you will not see it. God has to lead you to seeing what the Scripture says. Currently, the Jews do not want to see it. They don't want to see the suffering servant. Uh, When they do hear about it, they say, well, that's the country of Israel. Well, then why isn't it read in their service. If it's the country of Israel that's suffering, serving for the world, they should be reading it. But they don't. Unless we read, unless we study all of Scripture, I had somebody recently say to me, You're a Christian, you only read the New Testament. Oh, really? We only read the New Testament. No. To understand it all, we have to read all the Scripture. As I close, I just say until the Jews read the whole Scripture, they cannot gain an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And frankly, they only have to read the Old Testament to see it. They don't have to go into the New Testament, they just have to read all of the Old Testament. And they will see as Stephen is saying here that you reject the prophets which is continuing to this day you reject the prophets you killed those who announced the Messiah and what does he get for his efforts? Well, we'll we can skip ahead and figure that out but uh, it doesn't go any better for him at the hands of the Jews than the rest of the prophets did. Let's close in prayer.